The strange writing on this clay brick is known as cuneiform. Now, this script was used for hundreds of years in ancient history. Here, international presenter Gary Webster and travel with him to ancient Babylon and the island of Patmos to discover how ancient mysteries reveal the future. Let's move into this topic, life after death. Some years ago, J.B. Phillips was sitting in his home. And uh, as he's sitting there, suddenly uh, before him appeared C.S. Lewis, the great Christian philosopher. Now, the problem was C.S. Lewis had already died, but now he was in J.B. Phillips' lounge room. J.B. Phillips, of course, wrote one of the great translations of the Bible. I love his translation, but here he is in his lounge and there is C.S. Lewis has already died appearing before him. Quickly, J.B. Phillips got on the telephone and he rang one of his Christian friends and told him what had happened. He said, J.B., this sort of thing is happening all the time. Interesting. You see, what we have there is the ghosts, the dead contacting the living. What do we make of these things? What about haunted houses? Do the ghosts come back and haunt the houses of people? What about out-of-body experiences when somebody's dying, maybe on the operating table, they look down and they see their body. What's going on here? How do we understand these things? I like what's written on a tombstone in Virginia. Stop, my friend. It's on Red Smith's tombstone. Stop, my friend, as you go by. It says, as you are now alive, so once was I. As I am now dead, soon you shall be. So prepare yourself to follow me. Good words on that tombstone. A little boy came along and he read those words and he wrote a message underneath himself. To follow you, I am not content until I know just where you went. That's pretty smart, isn't it? I don't want to go where you're going until I know where you are. (laughs) That's the point here, and that's what we need to understand this afternoon. Many people believe that if you're bad, you go straight to the hot place. This is a widespread belief today. Other people believe, other religions believe that your soul gets recycled in an endless series of the recyclings of the souls in reincarnation and so on. Buddhism, Hinduism, many in the Western world believe this today. There are other people who believe that death is asleep and we wait till Jesus comes and wakes us up. What is the truth on this matter? How are we going to understand it? Well, let me tell you, we will have to go to the Bible to understand these things. The Bible is the place where we can discover what the truth is on these matters. John in the book of Revelation on Patmos, he wrote these words and we read them before, but I want you to notice again what it says here. When I saw him, says John, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am he who was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, says Jesus, and I have the keys of Hades or the grave and of death. Not only did Jesus come to life, but he has the keys to get us out of the grave. He holds the keys. Thank God that this book makes it very plain that there is life after death. There is no question when it comes to the Bible on this issue. There is a hope beyond tomorrow. But what happens when we die? Jesus has the power over death and the grave. But what happens when you and I go into that grave? Where do we go at death? I want to come back now to the 11th chapter of John. In the 11th chapter of John, Jesus is doing what Jesus does best. He is healing broken bodies and mending broken hearts. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to fix what was broken. 
both physically and spiritually. And Jesus was doing those things when a messenger burst through the crowds with this message. Your friend Lazarus is sick. Now, Lazarus was the friend of Jesus. He was the brother of two ladies, Mary and Martha. These were very close friends with Jesus. He used to stay in their home in Bethany with them. And now this messenger tells Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Now, I like the fact that the Bible mentioned these words. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Thank God it says he loved those people because we don't understand why he stayed there two days. Do you know sometimes God does not act according to our agendas? Isn't that right? We want God to do it now. We want God to come and help us now. But sometimes God seems to sit on his hands and he stayed two more days in that place and didn't come immediately or oh, it's hard sometimes to understand the ways of God is it not very hard sometimes to understand his ways we know the Bible says that all things work together for good to those who love God when sometimes God does not act according to what you think he should do and when he you think he should act remember these words my friends this afternoon all things work together for good to those who love God. That does not mean all things are good, but God can bring good out of the bad situation. And he was sure going to do that right here in this story. When Jesus finally came four days too late to Bethany, the Bible says when Jesus came to the tomb eventually, Jesus wept at Lazarus's tomb. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You think of it, there is Jesus, God in human flesh, and there are tears in his eyes. You may be grieving right now because of a loved one that you have lost. You may have said goodbye to a wife, a husband, a child in death, and your heart is breaking. Let me tell you, God weeps with those who weep. God understands our tears, and God cried when he was here. Jesus, God in human flesh. I love that picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you notice what Martha is saying? You know, when we lose a loved one, we blame, we play the blame game, don't we? You see, when we lose a loved one, we go through what we call the grieving process. And one of the stages in the grieving process is we blame and usually we blame ourselves. If only I had told my husband to go to the doctor a little earlier, he would still be alive. If only I had walked with my child across the road that day, my child would still be alive. They would not have got struck down by that car. And we blame ourselves. But oftentimes we blame God, right? And it looks like Martha's doing that. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, why didn't you come earlier, Jesus? Why didn't you come sooner? Lazarus would be alive. Oh, I tell you, my friends, this story is, is a tremendous story for each one of us because we see our humanity here, but we see that there's a God who understands. And if you're going through a grief process today and you're blaming yourself or maybe you're blaming God, let me tell you today, God understands. He understands. And not only does he understand, he, as it were, weeps with us in our grieving process. Jesus said to her, he said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He, that means he or she who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. Notice what Jesus said, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you get this? Do you believe this? I'm sure Martha said, yes, Jesus, I do get it. I do believe it, but I don't understand it. Never die. Lazarus believed in you, Jesus. He believed in you and he's dead. What do you mean he will never die? Good question, isn't it? You can see what must have been racing through Martha's mind. He who believes in me will live again, and he who believes in me will never die. I don't get it, Jesus, because Lazarus believed in you. What did Jesus mean? Well, we need to go back in that story 
back when that messenger burst through the crowds that day, he whom you love, Lazarus, your friend, is sick. Now, when Jesus was told that message by those friends, I want you to notice what he said. He said, our friend Lazarus, he said this to his followers, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Everybody knows that if somebody's sick, let them sleep in bed. They'll get better if you do that, if they do that. That's why you should never go to hospital because you'll never get a rest in hospital, right? Everyone's going to poke you with a needle and do this and so on. No, I'm just joking. It's a great place to be. <laughs> but you know what I mean. If we sleep, we get better. So that's what his disciples thought Jesus was talking about. Notice what Jesus said. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about talk, taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly now, Lazarus is dead. Do you notice what Jesus is calling death here? Jesus calls death asleep. That's the way Jesus called death or what he likened it to. It's like a sleep. Now, this idea of death as a sleep is found everywhere in Scripture. Many places. The Apostle Paul mentions this as well. Now, why does the Bible call death or liken it to a sleep? There's a good reason. Notice what Solomon tells us when he talks about what happens when we die. Now, by the way, my friends, some of the things that we're going to see this afternoon may really challenge your thinking. But I want you this afternoon to be open to the word of God, because if the Bible is true, then this is the safe way. It's never, it's never safe to believe what is not true. So I want you to open your mind this afternoon to what God says in his word. Push aside our preconceived opinions and let the word of God speak to each one of us. Because when we come to the end, you're going to see how, how it all comes together in a beautiful way. Now, why is death asleep? There's a very good reason. Solomon tells us. He tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes. Why death is called asleep. Notice what he says. For the living, he says, they know that they will die. But the dead, he says, they know nothing. Have you got another, another one for me? Thank you, Colin. Let's see how we go on this one. All right. The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, he says, he says, also... Their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything that is done under the sun. Now, did you notice what the Bible says here? It says very clearly the dead know nothing. They don't understand anything. Even their love is finished. Their hatred and their envy have now perished. That's the words of the Bible. And that's why the Bible likens death to a sleep. Because when we're asleep, we don't understand anything. We don't know anything. That's, what's, that's what it's like. And so the Bible likens death to a sleep. Now, Job puts it this way. If a man dies, his sons come to honor. So they come to the grave of the father to honor him. And he does not know it. He doesn't even know that they're there, according to the Bible. They are brought low. In other words, they have a difficult time in life. They may be going through some financial crisis and he does not perceive it. He doesn't even know what's happening in their lives while they're alive and he's dead. Now, this is what the Bible tells us. And that's why the Bible likens death to a sleep. So death is called a sleep because the dead know nothing. They don't understand anything at this while they're dead. Now, someone has a very good question right now. They, the question is this. Don't our loved ones actually go to heaven to be with Jesus at their death? That's what many people believe in the Christian world even today. But what does the Bible say? What does the word of God say on this matter? We go to the book of Psalms and David. Notice what he says. The dead do not praise the Lord nor any who go down into silence. Now, I don't know, but when I was a kid, I was led to understand that when people die, they maybe go to heaven, sit on a cloud and play a harp. Well, I'm not sure whether that's heaven for some people, you know, but that's the idea. We praise the Lord when we go, when we die and go to heaven at death. But the Bible says, no, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. So something's, what's going on here? 
The current, the, ob, the belief is this, but yet the Bible is going in another direction on this matter. Come with me on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching. And while he's preaching there on the day of Pentecost, I want you to notice what he says. Men and brethren, he says, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. I want to talk about King David, in other words, that he is both dead and he's buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Now, you can go to Jerusalem today and you can visit the king, the tomb of King David. Here it is. So they say in Jerusalem, Peter in his day said, we know where his tomb is. He's dead and buried and his tomb is right here. But notice what Peter said. He said, David, however, did not ascend into heaven. Now, how many of you think David should go to heaven? You're not a very merciful group, are you? I don't see too many hands. Now, I know David was a terrible guy. I can see a hand raised. Good. I know David was a terrible guy sometimes. He, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then he murdered the husband. But David asked for forgiveness in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, and God forgave him. David is mentioned among the faithful who will live again. But according to Peter, at the time Peter preached, and David's been dead for nearly a thousand years, David did not ascend to heaven. He hasn't yet gone there, according to David. We come to the great book of Hebrews, the great 11th chapter, when Paul writes to his Christian friends, these Jewish Christian friends, I want you to notice what he says about these faithful people down through the ages. The Bible says these words, but now, says Paul, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one, for he has prepared a city for them. And all these, he says, did not receive the promise. They sought a heavenly one, but they did not receive the promise. Why? God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect or complete apart from us. In other words, we're all going to get it at the same time, says Paul. They wanted a heavenly country, they're now dead, they're resting, but only together will we be made, will we have the whole thing together. He says that they should not be made perfect or complete, they shouldn't get their reward, in other words, apart from us, without us. So Job says, man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more, they will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. They are sleeping until the heavens are no more. Now, of course, the heavens are still here today, but there's coming a day when the heavens will roll back like a scroll because we've read it from Revelation. And on that day, they will rise again. And that's what Paul says. Yes, when will they wake up? That day will be when Jesus returns. Notice the way Paul puts it. Paul was writing to his friends in Thessalonica. Evidently, they didn't understand everything because he was only there for three weeks. So Paul wrote them a letter. They felt that death was like a black hole, that only the living would have eternal life. Only the living would go to be with Jesus. That's the way they felt. If you died, you would not have eternal life, they felt. As I said, he was only there three weekends. When Paul heard that, he decided to write a letter because you can imagine their husband gets sick or their wife or their children or their parents and they want to keep them alive, stay alive. They try to keep them alive because they hope anytime Jesus will come soon and then they'll have eternal life. But they did not. They died and Jesus had not come. You can imagine they were shattered. They would never see their loved ones again, they thought. So Paul wrote a pastor, a letter from his pastor heart there to these friends in Thessalonica. Notice what he wrote. He said these words, I do not want you to be ignorant without knowledge, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep, meaning died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. He says, you can be, you can sorrow, you can grieve, you can cry. The Lord Jesus cried, cried, but don't cry without hope. There is hope beyond the grave. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Notice what he said next. For the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend. He will come down from heaven with a shout. He said, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, he said, will rise first. 
What an amazing picture that he said. Then he said, those, then we who are alive, we are alive when Jesus comes. We hadn't died. Jesus came before death for, for some people and remain. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, he said, comfort one another with these words. Oh, my friend, this afternoon, let me share with you what really happens usually when somebody dies and we go to a funeral. Oftentimes it is said, Uncle Tom is now gone to heaven. That's what's often said, usually said. But Paul says, no, don't comfort one another with those words, but comfort one another with these words. What words? The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And that's when the dead in Christ who are sleeping, that's when they'll wake up at the second coming. Now, it makes no sense that people, for Jesus to have to come and take them to be with him if they've already been with him since they died. Why does he need to come for them? No, no, they are sleeping. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any who go down into silence. Those who are alive, those who are alive and go through trouble, they don't even know they're going through trouble anymore because the dead know nothing. But they will know something when Jesus comes and wakes them up. That's when they will resume life again. When Jesus comes... Comfort one another with these words, the words of the resurrection morning. That is the great hope for life after death. It's that day and that's what the New Testament always points to, the resurrection morning. Now someone has a question in their mind and it's a good question. Isn't the soul immortal? Isn't there something in us that lives on after death? Yes, that's what many people believe. In fact, the Buddhists believe that, the Hindus believe that, the Muslims believe that. Almost every religion that has ever existed, including Christianity, many Christians believe this idea of an immortal soul. But what does the Bible teach about this? Well, when you go to the Bible, you will discover that the soul is mentioned 1,600 times in this book, but not once is it ever called immortal in the Bible, not once. Let me show you, however, who is immortal in the Bible. It makes it very plain that man is not immortal. The Bible says when Paul is writing to his friend Timothy, he who is the blessed and the only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he says, who alone has immortality. Now, if only God has immortality, that means none of us yet have it. Because alone means only he has immortality. So the idea of an immortal soul, something's not quite right here. But let's move on further on this subject and we'll understand more. So what is a soul then? How do we understand a soul in the Bible? We need to go back to when God made man, when Jesus formed Adam and Eve. Notice what the Bible says. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Did you notice what the Bible is telling us here? The breath of life from the Creator, Jesus, that plus the dust of the ground, and man became a living soul. Notice that God did not put a soul into man, the dust or the elements of the ground plus the breath from the Creator and he became a living soul. Elements of the earth and the breath of life from the Creator and that's what makes a living soul, the Bible says. In other words, a living soul means a living person. You see, you cannot have a soul without a body, according to the Bible, because a soul is made up of the dust plus the breath of God. So a soul has to have a body, not something a soul lives in the body. The man became a soul. That's why the Bible says these words. The soul who sins shall die. Souls are not immortal according to the Bible again here. The soul who sins shall die. That means, and it's translated in some translations this way, the person who sins 
is the one who will die because the soul means the person, the total person, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, and so on. It is for a man's own sins that he will die, says the Living Bible. That's how the word soul is translated. So I promised you that I would show you some souls taken on camera. I was not joking. These are souls, according to the Bible, living people, old souls, young souls, some happy souls, some souls from the islands, and some handsome souls you'll notice up here. These are souls, according to the Bible. You have to have a body to be a soul. It includes the body. The breath of life plus the elements or the dust of the ground and man became a soul. This is the Bible's understanding of a soul. And death is creation in reverse when we look at it from the Bible. Notice what the Bible says. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit or the breath will return to, the, to God who gave it. God gave the spirit or the breath in the first place and it returns to him and the dust, the body goes back to the dust. Now, I want to talk about the spirit for a moment. The Old Testament word for the spirit is the word ruach, which means breath or wind. In the New Testament, it's pneuma from which we get the, 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 the word pneumatic drill, that air drill, because that's the idea of rumor, ru, uh, ruach, I should say, and of pneuma. Breath or wind. Now, the spirit and the soul are very different. Most people think they're the same thing in our world today. Most people, when you talk about the spirit or the soul, they think the same thing, but not in the Bible. They are totally different. Remember, what does it say when man was made? God breathed breath or spirit. That's what it's called into man. He breathed breath or spirit into man. And then it says, man what? Man became a soul. So the spirit was here, added to the dust, and he became a soul. These are different things in the Bible. A soul or a person goes back to dust, and the spirit of that soul goes back to God, or the breath goes back to God. Notice what the Bible says, the spirit of breath of life, the power of life goes back to God. Now someone says, that spirit that goes back to God, that's that ghosty thing. No, it's not, not according to the Bible. Let's notice something interesting here. First of all, let us notice that the spirit and the breath are the same thing in the Bible. The Bible says, as long as my breath is in me, and then he repeats it, and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. Now, nobody thinks that a ghost lives up our noses, right? What he's saying is this is where we breathe in and we breathe out. The breath of God is in my nostrils. The spirit of God, I should say, is in my nostrils. The breath is in me. As the body without the spirit is dead. You try that. You hold your nose as long enough and you'll know that the body without the breath or the spirit is dead, right? You die. You have to breathe. That's what the body Bible is telling us here. So a living person minus the breath is a corpse, according to the Bible. It goes back to dust and God takes the energy, the life that he gave in the first place, or the spirit that came from God. Let's illustrate it this way. Here we have a globe. That's like the elements of the ground, the dust. We pass electricity through that. We turn the switch on, and what do we get? We get light. Just like the body plus the energy or the, the spirit of life from God, and we get a person. Now, body plus breath equals a soul. So here we have a light bulb. Someone pass the electric, turn the switch on, please. Thank you. Okay. Now we have light because electricity plus bulb equals light. Please turn the switch off. Thank you. Okay. So now we go back. You see, we take the electricity off and we go back to the bulb and the electricity is gone. That's like it is with the human being. The energy from God or the breath of life plus the dust of the ground and man becomes a soul. Let's illustrate it this way. If we take some wood and we have a bunch of nails and we take a hammer and we bang those nails into those boards, we can make ourselves what? A box. That's like the body plus the breath and we have the soul. Now let's take the nails out of the box now. So we pull the nails out of the box and we put the nails in one pile and we put the boards in another pile. Where has the box gone? 
Has it gone to some place where there are disembodied boxes somewhere floating around? No, the box ceases to exist. It's gone back to its component parts, the wood and the nails. And that's what happens at death. God takes the energy or the spirit or the breath. He gave it in the first place to Adam, to each one of us, and our bodies go back to dust. That's how the Bible pictures uh, what happens when a person dies and how they came into being. This is what happens at death. The body goes back to the dust and God takes the energy, the spirit or the breath, the life energy goes back to God. But remember that life, that breath energy, that spirit, I should say, that breath or that energy, it knows nothing. It knows nothing, says Solomon. It doesn't even know what's happening on the planet. It's asleep. In other words, man is asleep. God has taken the energy himself, and one day he'll put those two things back together when he returns and wakes the dead to life again. Now, what about Paul and immortality? Paul spoke about immortality, and I want you to notice what Paul said. He said these words, talking of the great day when Jesus will come. He said, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed on that day. For this corruptible, this body that can get old and sick and wear out, must put on incorruption. It will become a body that won't wear out one day. But notice what he said next. And this mortal must put on immortality. Then, at that time, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, my friends, I want you to notice something. If we put On immortality, when Jesus comes, when the trumpet blows, that means we don't yet have it. Because Paul says we put it on on that day. That's why he says only God has immortality. Man, the soul, the human being dies. It's not immortal. There's no such thing as an immortal soul. This is not found in the Bible. Man puts on immortality on the resurrection day when he wakes up. When God wakes him up. Now, the question that some of you will have, and I'm sure some of you are thinking about this, well, then how did the idea of an immortal soul, this belief, come into Christianity? Because as I said, almost all religions believe in an immortal soul in some form, shape, form or other. Whether it's recycled like in Hinduism and Buddhism or whatever, goes to heaven or hell or whatever at death. That's the belief that many people have and even Christianity Most of Christians believe in an immortal soul. Where did this idea come from? Well, when we go back into history, we can find out very clearly. Tertullian was an early church father living in the second century, third century AD, after Jesus, after the Bible. Notice what he said. I use the opinion of Plato when he declares every soul is immortal. In other words, this early church father living after the New Testament has been written He says the idea of an immortal soul that we use in the Christian church, it comes from Plato. It's not found in the Bible. It comes from Plato. Now, who was Plato? Plato was a pagan. Plato believed that the body was like a house. And inside the house, there was an immortal soul. And at death, the house crumbled and the soul could escape. That's Platonic teaching. Now, this idea of the immortal soul, the Romans had, the ancient pagan Romans had the idea of an immortal soul. Not only the Romans, but the Babylonians had the idea of an immortal soul. That's why they worshipped ancestors. And this is an ancestral uh, tablet here for ancestor worship, because the souls of the ancestors are around somewhere so we can We should, you know, be careful and and look after them. That's the idea the Babylonians had. But the Egyptians before them had it in a big way. And we noticed the Egyptians went to a lot of trouble to make sure the car and the bar or the soul and the spirit, they seem to confuse the two things as you read Egyptian. But they had this idea that after death, something survives death and we go on somewhere. And that's why they went to all this trouble. But where did they really all get it from? Well, let me tell you where they all got it from. By the way, you can visit the pyramids of Egypt and you can see this huge hole beside the pyramid because they buried these huge boats to carry the soul into the next life. The Pharaoh had to put this boat together because it was all like a jigsaw puzzle in a box sort of thing. And he was supposed to put this thing together evidently because it was like that. Well, they reassembled it and these boats were supposed to carry the soul of the Pharaoh into the afterlife. 
because they believed in an immortal soul. But where did it really come from? It really came from way back when a snake slithered into the Garden of Eden. I want you to notice what the Bible says. We've seen it before, but maybe we hadn't thought of it this way. Of every tree, God said, of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. God said, you will die, Adam and Eve, if you eat that fruit. Now the snake comes along, who is really Satan working through the snake. And what does he say? You shall not surely die. And that lie has been repeated down through the centuries. You don't really die. Something survives death. Something goes on after you die. Your soul or your spirit goes either up or down or whatever. But you don't really die. That's the teaching that actually came from this being, Satan. You don't really die. Something survives death. What about out-of-body experiences then? How do we explain these? Well, one thing's for sure. When a person is near death and looks down and sees himself on the table, let me tell you one thing for sure. It is a near-death experience. It is not death. How do we know from the Bible? Because the Bible says the dead know nothing. If the person was dead, they wouldn't be seeing themselves on the table because of what the Bible says. That's why we have to cling to this book. But more other things have been found about near-death experiences. We know from Time magazine now, in an article they wrote, that scientists can actually have discovered that as we near death, we have altered states of consciousness. In other words, we hallucinate. We are near death, but we're not dead. And we hallucinate because of the chemical changes that are taking place. And my friends, it doesn't matter whether you're a Hindu, whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're a Muslim, whatever religion you are, whether you're no religion, people have the same experience. They look down on their body or something. That's what people say. Not all have this experience, but those who have it, it happens right across the religious spectrum. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in Christ or not. The same experience near death, but it's not death. Not only that, BBC reported that scientists actually can actually cause out-of-body experiences for people who are very much alive, very well. They can actually do some manipulation with electrodes so they have exactly the same experience. Now, we must follow what the Bible says. The dead, they know Nothing. That will protect us from some serious deceptions that were mentioned in a moment. What about reincarnated lives? What about someone who says, in a previous life I was Mozart, or in a previous life I was Napoleon? There are lots of glossy tabloid magazines, women's weeklies and so on, who report about reincarnated lives. There's scores of them today. How would we know if this is the truth? Because some of these people say amazing things that only the family know about who's very much alive. And these people say, I was, and they're not, you're not family members. How, how do we reconcile all this? Well, one thing we know is the person is not Mozart. Never was Mozart. Never was him in a previous life. Why? Because the Bible says the dead know nothing. The dead know nothing. But not only that, the Bible says this about, about these things. As is appointed unto men to die how many times? Once to die, after that the judgment. The Bible knows no idea of a recycling of souls on and on. We die once, the Bible says, and after that, then comes the judgment, says the Apostle Paul. What about channeling and spiritualism, where we go and visit people who say they raise the dead to, so we can contact a loved one or someone who's died in the past? What about this? Notice what the Bible says, what this is not. The living know that they will die. We know that. Our pulse is the funeral march to the tomb, as we said. We're all going to go to the box one day. We know that. But the dead, the Bible says, they know nothing. And they have no more reward for their memory is forgotten. They can't remember anything. Their love, their hatred, their envy have now perished. They don't have any of this anymore until Jesus comes is the Bible's teaching. That is what Solomon goes on to say. Nevermore will they have a share in anything that is done under the sun, the Bible says. 
So what about ghosts and haunted houses now? How do we make these things out? Do the ghosts, do the souls, the spirits of dead people come back and haunt the houses and sort of scare the people who are living in them? Notice what the Bible says. So he who goes down to the grave does not come up, meaning not come up till the resurrection day. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. I want you to notice the Bible is very clear. Whoever is haunting the house, it is not the dead, because the dead do not come back to the house, the Bible says, very plainly here. So who's haunting the house? That's the question this afternoon. Now, the Bible, before we answer that question, it gives the strongest warnings against any human being trying to make contact with the dead. Very strong warnings in this book. I want you to notice what the Bible says here. Moses is writing these things for God. There shall not be found among you anyone who practices witchcraft or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. That's strong language, isn't it? In anyone's book, God is obviously making a very strong warning here. Why such a strong warning? I'll tell you why there's such a strong warning. Because when we contact what looks like our loved one, maybe our mother, our husband, our wife, our brother, our sister, who knows what it is, who it is, when we What we think we're talking to is actually not the dead loved one. It is the demons we're in contact with. The Bible makes this very plain. That's why God gives this warning. John in the Revelation says, They are the spirits of demons performing signs. You see all around us here this evening, there are evil spirits and good spirits. Bible talks about that. They're all around us. They know what you sound like. They know what you look like. They know everything about you, the evil ones, under the good, of course. But the evil ones and Satan and his evil angels can impersonate the people. He's here when he hears the conversations that only you and your husband have had or you and your child have had. And he can repeat those conversations down the track when they've gone, making it appear that that one talking to you is the, your, the, the soul or the spirit of a loved one, when all the time it is not, because the dead know nothing. They have no understanding. So it's the demons, the Bible says, who are doing these things. Demons impersonate people. We have a whole story in the Bible of that. You go home sometime and you read what happened to Samuel, or not to Samuel, to Saul. Samuel had died, the prophet of God. Saul, the king, had been disobedient. He would not follow the ways of God. And God said, I'm not speaking to Saul anymore until Saul obeys, in other words. When Saul obeys, then God will communicate with him. But while Saul is living in disobedience, I'm not talking to him. So one day, Saul goes to a, a spirit medium. He's supposed to have gotten rid of all these people because they led people to worship really to get in contact with the devil so he goes to this spirit meeting and says bring up Samuel the prophet and lo and behold up comes this thing that looks like Samuel it sounds like Samuel and Samuel says what are you woken me up for here he's a bit grumpy <laughs> and, uh, and so that apparition says to Saul you're going to die on the battlefield tomorrow And that's exactly what happened. He died on the battlefield the next day. But the Bible makes it very plain this wasn't Samuel because God wasn't speaking to Saul because Saul was living in disobedience. The Bible uses the word here. It was a familiar spirit. The words used is like the word that we have in ventriloquist. It might look like the doll's talking, but it's the person, not the doll. It's a phony. It wasn't really Samuel. It was an evil spirit. That's the way the Bible tells us there. It looked like him, it sounded like him, because the, the devil knew what Samuel sounded like, what Saul Samuel looked like, and he can impersonate, you see. How cruel, how diabolical of this evil demon Satan, that at the weakest point in our life, when we're longing to reach out in lo- to, to, to love a loved one who's passed away, at this moment he steps in and masquerades as a loved one who's passed away. He is diabolical. And people who are so brokenhearted, they reach out, hoping to communicate with a loved one again. 
It happened to Jane. Jane was a Christian. She had lost her little boy, Billy. He'd been killed in a car accident and her mother's heart was breaking, literally breaking and wanting to see her son again. But she knew the words of the Bible, the dead know nothing. One day she's there in the kitchen and suddenly the door opens, the back door opens. She wondered, who's, who's here? She spun around to look and there was Billy. Looked like Billy, sounded like Billy, and she just wanted to race over and embrace what looked like her son as a, only a mother would want to do. But she was held back by the words of the Bible. The dead know nothing. And with this struggle going on inside her, both knowing what the truth of the Bible taught and yet the mother instinct. Finally, she made a decision. She said, you are not my son. You're an evil spirit. Go away. And that thing turned black and vanished. I want to tell you, my friends, this is what we're up against today. The Bible is very plain. We do not receive immortality until Jesus comes. The dead are sleeping until that day. Satan is diabolically, he is out to deceive so he can do destruction. That's what he lives for, Jesus said, and that's the sort of things he does. And I'm glad the Bible has an example uh, there in the scriptures about this being. And so it was, four days too late, Jesus arrived in Bethany. Lazarus was in the tomb. Jesus came out to the tomb and he said, roll the stone away from the tomb. And when they rolled the stone away from the tomb, Jesus, the Bible says, cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Jesus did not say, Lazarus, come down or Lazarus, come up from the hot place. Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, the Bible said, came out of the tomb on that day. Now, if you would think about it, this is a replay of the creation story. Tell me, where is the dust of the earth in this story? It's in the grave. It's decomposing. Lazarus has been dead four days and he smelt terribly. That's why Martha said, Lord, don't roll the stone away. It'll, be, it'll smell terribly because he's decomposing. He's going back to dust. Where is the breath of life in this story? It's in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And when Jesus, the one who is the life giver, said, Lazarus, come out, the life that's in Jesus and the dust of the ground came together and Lazarus lived again. Lazarus did not come down. He did not come up. He came out, the Bible says, because the two came together. That's what's going to happen on that great day when Jesus comes the second time. Wellington had fought that great battle against Napoleon Bonaparte in the Battle of Waterloo. And the message was relayed from the battlefield on that occasion, right across from the battlefield to the French side of the English Channel, and then across by boat it was taken, and then it was relayed from the channel, the English Channel on their, their side, to London via semaphore, the waving of flags, which is like a type of a Morse code. Well, as they're waving the flags, Wellington, it said, W-E-L-L-I-N-G-T-O-N. And before they could finish the message, a fog separated the people who sent that message from the people who were receiving it. And all they got was this word, Wellington, D-E-F-E-A-T-E-D. And they thought Wellington has been defeated. And so they passed the message on to London. Wellington has been defeated. The people in London were depressed because they thought Napoleon had won the battle. But then the fog lifted later in the day and they relayed the full message. Wellington defeated T-H-E-E-N-E-M-E-Y. Wellington defeated the enemy. That made a lot of difference, didn't it? Wellington had not been defeated. Wellington had won the battle. And you think about what happened on Good Friday. It looked like terrible Friday. Jesus defeated. But come Sunday morning, the first day of the week, the message was completed. Jesus defeated death. Jesus has conquered the devil and death is defeated. 
What a difference it made. And my friend, this afternoon, when Jesus was with Martha, he said these words and these two words, how the two ingredients to have life after death. I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me, though he or she may die, he or she shall live. Do you notice the two things for life after death? Number one, we have to have what? Resurrection. There is no life after death without resurrection, according to the Bible. And that takes place when Jesus comes. And the second thing, if you want to live forever, we have to believe in Jesus Christ. We have to accept him as our saviour and surrender our life to him and say, Lord, I put my life in your hand. That's the way to have eternal life. That's the way to have life after death. Belief in Jesus and the resurrection morning at the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father in heaven, this is a subject that gets right to the very heart of us as humans because many of us, we've all said goodbye to someone dear to us. And for some of us, we thought they were in heaven. Some of us wondered where our loved ones were, but the truth of the Bible is everybody sleeps until the resurrection morning. Lord, though it may seem to be comfort to think that people are in heaven, if it's not the truth, it's cold comfort. Far better for us to believe what Paul says, comfort one another with the words, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ will rise first. Father, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and maybe this afternoon you've not yet put your life in the hand of God, but you want to say, Lord Jesus, I believe you, so that should I die, I will rise again on that resurrection day. Just raise your hand today. You want to be part of that resurrection morning, should you die? You want to have Jesus? You want to be in that resurrection day? Just raise your hand to say, Lord, I put my trust in Jesus. Father, thank you for being with us this afternoon as we've shared this topic. It's vital because we can see what the devil is up to. He's out to deceive so that he can destroy. Please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ancient Mysteries with Pastor Gary Webster on Faith FM. Join us again same time next week to discover more ways in which the history of our world confirms the Bible and its messages of the past and future. Right around Australia, you're listening to Faith FM. Faith FM.